Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Until Chris can prove his ability to pronounce the Bengals correctly and not as the Bengals, please suspend Chris Sims without pay. Damn, you want to suspend me? I'll try to work on it. Bengals. It's Bengals. your thing. You've been Bengals. doing it for so Bengals. long now. You Bengals. have to just do it. Yo, 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 what's up? It's Chris Sims. It's Connor Rogers. It's Chris Sims Unbuttoned. I was like, I almost forgot your last name for a second there. I was like, what the hell is his last name? Hey, what's (laughs) up, You recovered real quick. Well, I was trying to think of Bengals, Bengals, Bengals. That's right. I am still here at Bozeman Baker. They didn't fire me. They did not suspend my pay. I am here, and we are going to talk about the Bengals today when I break down what the fuck happened with this whole thing. Yes, very well done there, Jefferson Baker. You're very funny. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, but I uh, hope everybody's good out there. No Ahmed Farid today. You know what we're doing. It's the Treasure Hunters, What the Fuck Happened podcast. And then we got a lot of Ask Me Anythings, right? Because we have to. There's a lot of breaking news here over the last 24 hours, the trade, the trade deadline. And that's where I hand it off to the always better dressed than Ahmed <laughs> Farid, Connor Rogers. Way more style. What's up, dude? What's good up, to man? Good to be back, especially post-trade deadline. Oh, what a, seriously, what a, a good, fun good show to, one to run into. Right? I mean, well done, Breeders' Cup, for scheduling <laughs> it. You know, this week, uh, Ahmed, I appreciate always him letting me fill in this chair. And man, what a, a busy-ish trade deadline yeah. for multiple reasons. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of guys moved that we thought would be moved. I think the bigger story was that Washington ended up moving both of their Agreed. pass rushers. Agreed. But of course, we are going to start it. Um, and I'm still laughing at the Bengals thing because I was telling Pete before we started the show. I was like, Chris has always said uh, always. Bengals. This like, is the thing back to our Bleacher all, all Report the time. Days, they'd be, like, yeah. would get on me. <laughs> they'd be right. like, what did you say? Yeah, and right. like, the Bengals. And it's like, it just is what it is. Kentucky roots, right? <laughs> I, I guess. I, that's the crazy thing is my right? dad grew up not far from there. Yeah, exactly. Right? So my dad was like a double horrible person with this. He called them the Cincinnati Bengals oh, both being wrong. from Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I was always like, and and literally, I remember being eight or nine years old, and I'm like, he's like, no, you say it's Cincinnati. You, you remember him saying that to me? Like, you say it's Cincinnati. Trust me, I grew up around there. They say Cincinnati, and I was like, I don't know. And then of course, as time went on, people and more people were like, Phil was on TV. And yeah, like, Phil, you're an idiot. It's Cincinnati, and it's the Bengals. Okay, so we're working on it. I don't know if I'll be fixed though. It might be too late. Honestly, when you grow up that way, it's it's hard to change just for broadcast thing like i grew up with new york city parents my dad they're both born in brooklyn yeah they also lived in staten island my dad worked in the bronx his whole life so it was just a mesh of every new york city accent so i would say things and not know that's not really the perfect pronunciation it's too late it's too late oh yeah of course yes yes you don't know until you get to around other people in the country where 
you know, their accents are different or they notice. I know I got that when I went to Texas. People were always oh my, like, that what? What did you say, huh? And I'd be like, what? I don't know. We're going to the mall? Yeah. Like the mall. Water, draw. Uh, yeah, yeah right. all those. Yeah, 100%. You know, a tournament. That's how I, I say yeah. it. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, a few words there. But uh, English language has never been one of my strengths, okay? So back off, and uh, I'll try my best to get this figured out here. Listen, let's jump into the hashtag Ask Me Anything because the news around this is, is very noteworthy because it happened when we were asleep on the East Coast with everything going on with the Raiders. They fire Josh McDaniels. Yeah. They fire their GM, Dave Ziegler. Uh, they also fire their offensive coordinator, yeah. Mick Lombardi. Right. So Antonio Pierce, former New York Giants legend, he's Taking going over. He's going to be the interim head coach. Uh, there's just so much going on with this entire situation. So before we even dive fully into it what was just your instant reaction like is this shocking to you uh, that it happened now because this is a little bit of an odd time of the season for it, this it is i think josh mcdaniels is in trouble regardless i mean there was definitely some skeptical end of the game decisions i think to talk about you take over a team that went to the playoffs and you go six and eleven and then you start out the next year maybe looking worse right you know nothing to really hang your hat on uh the one thing i brought up on on tuesday on pro football talk with florio is they're, the one, you know, they're kind of in no man's land. That's right? the problem. That's the problem with the organization. It's like, what were they going to do again this year? Go 6-11 and 11 and you know, maybe not be able to get a quarterback again to change their organization or flip it over or get it, you know, some new energy in there? I do think last year that they thought, yes, we signed Jimmy Garoppolo. We're still going to get a quarterback in the top 10. They obviously didn't like Will Levis. The three that they probably did like obviously went, and they kind of got stuck in a no-man's land there as far as that. So where is the future? What's exactly. there to look at? And then also when you look at their roster, like, you know, okay, Max Crosby, Colton Miller. Uh, yeah, Colton Miller. Sure. The Left Devontae Adams. And after you get through those three names right there, you start to go, well, who else is a difference maker or an elite football player or somebody that's a game changer? Uh, there's nobody else. And, you know, I think it's a very middle class heavy roster. So it was kind of like, where are they going with this? I did not expect them to get fired. I had a little birdie text me about 830 last night telling me they thought Josh was in trouble. Now, I didn't think that meant like in the next 24 hours. I thought maybe like they lose another game next week or in two more games, he's in trouble. And then I woke up to the news, right? So that's where I am surprised. And I guess I'm surprised too because Mark Davis, you know, has kind of been known to not want to give money to people who maybe don't work for his you know, yeah. team anymore. And between Gruden and this now, I don't know what he's paying Gruden. A lot he's going to be paying, paying some people there. I think it just tells you the state of the NFL, though. You know, th- It's still chump change, this money. Even for one of the poorer owners in Mark Davis, that he's like, the hell with it. you got four years left on your contract. I'm still going to fire you and we'll pay you and we'll figure it out. So this from Albert Breer kind of has to do with that. He said, Raiders owner Mark Davis' recent postgame meetings with Josh McDaniels were seen by staff as a sign of trouble. One particularly aggressive one happened after the win over the Packers. Davis wasn't happy and let the head coach know it. This is an owner that's notoriously pretty involved, a a team that ownership is always involved. Yeah, we had heard everything, Chris, about the rumors that they didn't have a lot of cash, where firing McDaniels last year wasn't a possibility. It's always been a little bit of a problem there. For sure. And, you know, some of the players you said, Colton Miller and Max Crosby, this regime didn't didn't draft or acquire those players. So 
I think to me it all goes back to your original point is that they don't have a quarterback that they were saying this is going to be the guy and I am going to develop this guy. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo is Kingbridge quarterback right yes. now. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I know he gets crushed by everyone. Yeah. But Jimmy can be your bridge quarterback while you're waiting for that guy on the roster to eventually play. I'll say this. Do you think it goes back to maybe they should have been more aggressive in this draft? Because oh, yeah. everybody, I mean, if I know it, everyone knows it. At seven, there wasn't going to be one of those top three guys no, there. We didn't knew, seem we like. knew three weeks out from the draft. It that, wasn't happening. Like, everybody was kind of saying, oh, these, these three guys They're are going. all going in the top five here, right? right? You know, I think Stroud, maybe there was a little doubt there because of the testing. Yes. And there were some people that were concerned in the NFL with that. And maybe that's who they were waiting for. You know, there, there's a part of me that thinks, were they the team that released the information on Stroud, <laughs> hoping he would fall? Maybe. I mean, I, I really have, we've had that conversation on Pro Football Talk, too. But yeah, I, you know, you're an offensive coach you're an offensive head coach your offense last year did some really good things you abandoned your quarterback and Derek Carr who didn't play good last year and he said that himself too and he blew a lot of late game opportunities where you're going man we're paying you like a franchise quarterback and you didn't come through right they had Devontae Adams the number one receiver in football last year statistically and the number one running game in football statistically and Josh Jacobs right still didn't translate into a lot of wins so I think he got like okay hey you didn't like the quarterback they're still building something here but Josh Jacobs of course has not been the same this year their O-line's not been the same Jacobs just getting into shape right and then the offense does not look good and I yeah. think with that and, you know, some of the in, in end game decision making as far as, uh, you know, managing situations and then add on to, yeah, not looking good as a total football team and then looking down the future and going, wait, I don't see a, anything, a shiny light or anything that I, I can go, ooh, well, we've we got this going. So I think we could turn it around. And I think that's where Mark Davis just said, the hell with it. I'm pulling the plug and we'll move on from there. It feels like the biggest selling point to keeping McDaniels going into this year was how Mac Jones looked when McDaniels left, right? Where sure. you can argue and say, well, I mean, obviously knows how to coach offense. We saw some of it with his first year with the Raiders. But like you said, this offense hasn't been good this year for a variety of reasons. And it kind of all came to a pinnacle obviously in the primetime game where the, the misses of Devontae Adams oh, over his head right, and right. just the frustration of the team and yes. everything like that. So our first one here is from Isaac. He says, Jim Harbaugh to the Raiders. Harbaugh started his coaching career with Al Davis. He was suspended at Michigan already this year. He might be suspended again with the sign-stealing scandal. Also, Mark Davis loves splashy moves with hiring coaches. There was a report last week that the NFL might impose a suspension on Jim Harbaugh if he tries to return. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I understand that name being thrown out there. I think that's a possibility. You know, I do think, yeah, I think Jim Harbaugh is in trouble in Michigan as far as college football and what's going on with this investigation about, you know, sign stealing and all that. I can see and you know, Mark Davis being interested in a Jim Harbaugh. I think the real question, though, is Jim Harbaugh going to be interested in the Raiders? Who would right? be right, right now? Right, right now, right. There's a lot, like we just talked about. It's a roster that you're not you're going to look at and go, you know, like we said, it's it's limited as far as the talent, what you can do. You got to re- be, I think, pretty realistic and think, hey, it's going to take a little while to turn this over. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was trying to get the Chargers job this offseason. That was him and Sean Payton. You know, they can say what they want, but anybody in the know in the NFL, and why did they want that? Because he saw talent, he saw a quarterback, he knew it was a quicker fix than maybe a situation like this. So, you know, I, I understand that connection there. Uh, 
my thing would be, does Harbaugh end up having any other other options uh, when it's all said and done? And if any of those are prettier with a franchise quarterback or high draft picks that you're looking at, whatever it may be. Uh, but, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. All right. I was just laughing at the graphic we showed. If There'll be a trivia question one day of, like, the 13-year span of where, the Raiders. where Rick Bisaccia it is, amazing, is the winningest coach alongside Jack Torrey. I know you're a little tenure. younger than I am, right? But like when I was growing up, and I know you know this, but I mean, it, it's still shocking. The Raiders were arguably the greatest, most winning sports franchise in our country. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a time there in the mid-'90s where their winning percentage was better than any other team in any sport, right? So it's just amazing how they've fallen off to, to this degree for this period of time where, yeah, great franchise, storied in the NFL, all the great players and all that. They have not been able to flip it around. And, you know, I'll, I'll give Mark Davis credit in the fact that not doubling down, if he felt like it was time to go, let's make a move and let's be aggressive. And we've seen in the NFL, you can flip over a roster in, in two years and get back to being a really competitive, dangerous football team. So we'll see if they can, they can make that happen out there. And now they start the process early where they're sure. going to be – everybody knows that job is yep. open. They'll right. start open vetting candidates. That's right. Most first, likely, they're not going to win a lot of football no. games going forward when you fire the, the offensive coordinator and the head coach. That means that, yeah, it's a soft tank almost within that firing, yeah. right, to where uh, you know, I don't expect them to win too many more games, and that therefore they'll have a pretty high draft pick. Speaking of a franchise in the similar mold of how Boom. you kind of described the Raiders, the yeah. Washington Commanders. Yeah. I mean, that's how maybe a little bit before yeah. their greatness but no, was. You're but right. you're they're right. another one where you look at and you just go, what has happened in this century? Yes. And the Washington Commanders, obviously a big headliner of trade deadline day, not because of who they acquired, but yeah. who they've traded away. Uh-huh. The 49ers acquire Chase Young from the Commanders for a third-round pick. And the first question here from Hernan Favela, did the Niners trade for a defensive end instead of a corner because of Wilk's scheme? That is more focused on playing zone and four-man front pressure getting, uh, getting pressure. Well, I think the 49ers traded for Chase Young because they were like, what? We can give you a, a third-round compensatory pick and get him, right? I, I think that's why they did it. I, uh, I know this, right? And again, I, I hate to say that when I talk about the 49ers because everyone just thinks like I'm being told this by Kyle. I know this from other people in football. The 49ers were looking for a corner. That's what they wanted. That was objective number one, right? I had a team text me last week that, hey, your boy and his team are calling us about our corners, right? So, I, And I have been saying this for three or four weeks that I think that was the number one thing the 49ers needed to do, right? I brought up J.C. Jackson at one point when that went down because I was going, oh, I was kind of hoping the 49ers might be able to snag him. I do think that was still the number one thing they were trying to acquire there. Didn't work out, whatever. Didn't get a guy or an offer of, of a guy that they liked. I don't really know how that un, un, unpacked totally there, but... The other thing, and, and we're going to talk about you know, the Bengals and, and the 49ers matchup in the notes, right? well, what's the next best, best thing to help your secondary out if you, can't, if you can't get a cover guy, right, Connor? You get more pressure on the quarterback. So exactly. now the, cover, the, the secondary doesn't have to cover as much or as long, right? So that's, that, I think, is the second best option, let alone, hey, Bosa's been good, but not great, okay? And I think great will come here soon. Hargrave... Uh, I think I said this on Sunday to Ahmed. Hargrave started off pretty good. The last few weeks, he has not been good. 
you know, he doesn't pop at all in the Bengals game. I'll talk about that. Armstead, of course, is, is still Eric Armstead and a, and a player, and he was actually really good. But there's been no production at the opposite end. You know, it, when, when they had Samson, Ekubom, yep. D. Ford, Charles Amenhew, even though I know they're not world beaters, those guys, they're really good football players where you were like, no, they, they apply pressure and they make a lot of plays that, you know, go unnoticed by the fan or the stat books and do that. So now you got this to go along with it. And we'll see where it goes. I think the big thing is with Chase Young, you know, and I, probably why there wasn't the market that everybody thought there was going to be. One, he's been hurt for, you know, two years, basically. So that's that people are going to be a little bit like, ooh, I don't know where to go with that. And then the big thing after that is, okay, it, it's, you, you trade for a guy like that. We're giving assets away. And, you know, he's having a pretty good year. And he continues to have a good year here now in a good defense. He's going to go, well, I'd like to be paid $25 million right. a year, right? And so now you're into, wait, are we going to give him a long-term deal or we're going to have to franchise him, which the franchise is probably going to be around 27 or 28 million. For an edge rusher, it's wild. An edge rusher, right? Right? So that's where I think there was no market for Chase Young, I think, ultimately. And I think the Niners looked at it and went, wait, we got a bunch of these compensatory picks. We got this, and it's only a third rounder. And we'll take that gamble because we're a Super Bowl team, and we'll push the chips in the middle of the pile for that. And uh, good for them. I I was shocked. When I saw that, I was shocked. Um, well, keep, let's keep going. I, I wanted to say one other thing. Let me say one other thing yeah, about please. this, okay? I don't want to jump forward because I know we're talking about Montez Sweat, but I want to hit on the commanders and what you said. Like, if I'm Ron Rivera, I, I quit today. Right. right? There's it's, no... It's over. Yes. Like, they, they told you it's over by what they did yesterday, right? I had told Pete in, the, in our viewing room and producer Matt Casey and all that that I had heard on Sunday... Even if they won, I think there was people high up in the front office that were like, it's over. We're tra- we want to trade no matter what. And there was a little bit of a civil war in the building mm. still going like, hey, we still can turn this around and do all that. They lost, obviously, so that wasn't even a discussion. And, yes, I would say now the, those two guys being gone, it's – yeah, Ron Rivera, he's just he's – just, does he want to finish out the year, or does he want to, you know, quit? I don't know, but it, it's over. I think that whole era. Knowing him, I would think he he finishes, he finishes it out. Year, but right. man, it's a yeah, it's, it's a, a weird a tough situation. Spot. It's a weird situation for sure. And we'll get more into the actual players that Chase Young and Montez Sweat are. But this next question from Adam Blackhall: Hey, Gabby, Pete, Connor, and crew, as an Eagles fan. Young to the 49ers is my least favorite. We're about to see a guy who's been underperforming relative to expectation. Absolutely light it up, aren't we? Yeah. Well, I I think that's, uh, you know, as an Eagles fan, right, that's – you got to worry about that. You know, I think that the Seahawks and the 49ers, you know, they made moves, but you got to be thinking about the Eagles, you know, what are we going to do? I can't blitz Jalen Hurts and leave A.J. Brown one-on-one all game. We need a front four that can get there. They got too many other things they do on offense well the Jets for us them. to be. Exactly. This is how the Jets beat them. Exactly. You got to be able to relegate, you know, the other seven guys into the, the quarterback runs, the actual run game, the screens to the receivers on the outside. If you get too aggressive against Eagles, like, you know, you're screwed. They're, they got too many answers and too many good players. So I, I got to think those moves were made But then, yeah, we want to improve our team, but also looking at it going, if we want to get where we think we might be able to go here, and the 49ers and Seahawks, to me, are in the Super Bowl conversation, you know, they made a move trying to go, okay, 
you know, the Seahawks thinking about the 49ers and what they do on offense, the Eagles do on that offense, and they had to make moves to, to kind of, you know, get better in those areas. And make no mistake about it, Chase Young has been really good this year. Yes, he has. It, it's time for Inside the Numbers, powered by AWS, and from Next Gen Stats, when you look at what he's done. He's generated a career-high 17.2% pressure rate this season. That's seventh-highest in the NFL. The 49ers now have two of the top five defenders in quarterback pressures this season, Chris. And we know the way these front forwards are played in this scheme. I mean, you can really only dedicate help to one guy. It feels like the opportunity for Chase Young will now be... And I know he played in a good front with the commanders. Yeah. But it, I don't know, it just feels with Chris Kasarek and the Niners and what they're going to be asking them to do, this is a really good home for him. Definitely. Perfect I mean, home yeah. for him. I mean, it's all about rushing the quarterback. That's it, yes. They just, you know, they're, they're a little bit like, hey, get upfield on the way to the quarterback. That's how they play. You know, that, that's so. And within that, too, like if things don't work out and the market's not exactly what Chase Young wants, right? This is where I do think there's some beauty for the 49ers in this trade, you know. If he goes, oh, okay, I'm not going to get what I want, so i got to settle for a lower number, you want to go back to the team like the 49ers for that. Because you're exactly right. You're going to set yourself up to blow up the next year and, and get a killer contract. So that, so I think those when, when you connect those dots, that's where it makes sense. Uh, and you're right. Chase Young's been really, really good this year. He's definitely added to his pass rush move variety. Like Chase Young, the first few years, I know it was good, but I was always like, I don't know. Like it's just, it's like he either tries to win with speed or he just tries to bull rush a guy. That's yeah. all there was. There was nothing to it. You know, now there is a little bit more variety of the moves. And then with him and you know, hey, Nick Bosa, again, like I said, it's it's been good. It's not great. I mean, those stats still tell you it's it's damn good. You know, I think it's been more of like. A lot of like, oh, he's been close and he didn't get the guy down. That's where I'm kind of going. It's been good, not quite great. Uh, but either way, they're going to have some tandem, you know, arguably one of the best tandems in football now. And Hargrave gets going again. And this, you know, hopefully can help Steve Wilkes out a little bit as he continues to build through this transition of learning the way the 49ers play defense and, and how they do that. So Chase Young's teammate, Montez Sweat, goes to the Bears for an even higher return. This yeah. is a second-round pick. and Yeah. This is a second-round pick that should be a top-40 pick. It feels yeah. like no-brainer it's right. going to be a top-40 right. pick. So this first, from, uh, this first one from I Won the Mums, with the Commanders now having five picks in the first three rounds next year, do you think they have their eye on a specific coach and or GM? I, I don't think so yet. I don't. I, you know, I think what they realize is let's just acquire assets right now. We got some guys that the market wants or people want, and let's try to – you know, fortify or solidify ourselves or put ourselves in a spot where the next regime can come in and really have some advantages to flip this team over and get it going, right? I think that's kind of how I look at it. No, I think now uh, you you make it's a process and we make that decision, okay, we're keeping the coach, but everybody in football now who is a wannabe head coach for next year, has an agent representing them, I think, you know, like we said, the writing's on the wall there to where now they're going to start to be able to be behind the scenes, do their due diligence on some of these guys and try to do the right thing that way. 
And now when you're pitching these jobs, if you're the commanders, you go, we have all these draft assets, and we'll give you the floor to use them how you want. If you want to go up in a good quarterback that, class exactly and get a quarterback, right. exactly right. I, I feel like that's what makes a job most attractive, is if you have an opportunity to go, I mean, look at the Panthers just did this. Either they you got a quarterback or Texans. you got to go enough to get a quarterback. Yes. One of the two, yep. right? One yep. of those two. And, and we'll see. Maybe you know Sam Howell's done some good things. Yeah, he has. Maybe in the next regime's going to go, hey, we're good there. We could use all these assets for other things. There's going to be, to me, I, I don't know, uh, you know, th- there is just off the coaches and GM thing, I think there is going to be, it's going to be one of the more talented crops of coordinators, I think, to be head coach candidates in quite some time. I really do. You know, when you start to break it down, and I'm just, I didn't think we were going to go here, so I'm trying to go off the top of my head real quick here. But um, one, uh, let me just go like Raheem Morris, okay? Uh, EJ Evero for the Carolina Panthers, that defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens. The Ravens have the best defense in football for my money. And right? his rise has been, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, it's right? been meteoric. Right. Yeah. You know, Ben Johnson with the Detroit Lions. That's a big one. That's going to be a huge one. You know, I think Wink Martindale for the Giants and what he does on the defensive side of the ball is magical there. I'm missing some other people here. Hold on. I want to make sure I get it right, too, because I feel like I'm, I'm missing somebody else on the maybe the offensive side of that. That's a, a, a name that's always in my head. Um, well, I, I don't know. But either way, I think there is going to be more, uh, some really talented coordinators out there to be had for Washington if they want to go that way, let alone they might have one right on their roster already and Eric Bieniemy, He might be the perfect guy to hand this off to. So we'll see where that goes. That was Inside the Numbers, powered by AWS. Some more questions here regarding Montez Sweat. This one from Nath Jacobson. How can a second for Sweat but a third for Young makes sense. Surely they're at least worth the same. If not, Young should be worth more. Also, why didn't the Seahawks go for Young if he was available for that price? I, 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 <laughs> I think that was everybody's thought when the trade went through. I, I, everybody. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt. You know, The 49ers had the luxury of having those extra compensatory picks because of the minorities that they've had hired off of their you know, staff, which is impressive. Um, so I feel like they probably looked at it as like it was throwaway picks. But trust me, I was thinking the same thing. I was literally like, wait, if it was only a third, like the NFL let the 49ers get them, right? Like nobody else wanted. But I, I think it was an odd year in general, too, of, you know, some of the teams at the top of football or kind of solidified in that position. Some of the teams at the bottom of football, that's not what they're looking for. A guy that needs a new contract and we're going to trade away assets. They're like, wait, we got too many things. We got to worry about our team to now have to pay him. Now into the important part of the question here from uh, at Nath Jacobson, let me be clear about this. I said this before the year. I said this last year, Montez sweat is better than chase young. I I know this year it's, it's, it's certainly debatable. But Montez Sweat has been better than Chase Young throughout his career. The NFL, is, and they showed you that yesterday with the way they viewed it. Montez Sweat is one of those guys that, you know, yeah, he can get double-digit sacks every year. He's very good in the run game. He's got incredible length to get off blocks. He can two-gap. He can really do just about everything. You know, he's got a pretty good football IQ. He affects the game more than he gets credit for. So that's where, and then, of course, he doesn't have the, Chase Young has the second pick of the draft hype and the Ohio State hype. name recognition. And that's a real thing. Listen, everybody that comes from Alabama or Ohio State, 
they got to get the fan benefit of the doubt their first few years of the career because there's such a following. We've all watched them on Saturdays every week, and we just go, hey, he's good. Everybody keeps telling me he's good. He's the man. He's the man. He's really damn good. Uh, I know that. But he has not been as good as Montez Sweat, and I think that's why Montez Sweat you know, acquired – more for for his talents that kind of answers our next question but i do want to talk about the bears side of it this is from connor mcginnis why would the bears choose to pay more in terms of draft capital for the older former washington dn rather than the younger cheaper one but you kind of answered is this the better player he's the better player he's got no injury history right and he's to me you know, has a body that lasts the test of time in the NFL. That that's where it's a little different too. And I think you know, with Chase Young, I would be worried. I'd be worried about you know that aspect of like, wait, it took him two years to get over a knee injury. I know he's really good, but we know with those type of injuries and all that, that sometimes other injuries come along with it. Uh, you know, with the name recognition and all that too, the the money, the hype around the situation. I think that Sweat not only has been consistently the better player, I think he's the safer bet too. And I think that. That's why, you know, the second for him and the third for for uh, for Chase Young. Did it surprise you that the Bears were buyers? I, I wasn't sure they would do that. Yeah. I kind of wanted to be like, you know, why? Right. But for a second round pick for a guy that's really a first round talent, I can understand that to go. You know what? We're not going to find somebody like this in the second round of the draft. That next was year, my thought. Right. It, I think you start getting some is. hits. Yeah. They've had a lot of lotto tickets. It's time to a defense starting that, to cash in a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. The defense needs some sure things. That's right. And Montez Sweat, like you said, a well rounded player, a sure thing. Exactly. So. And then you know, as it stands right now, what do they got? The first and the third pick of the draft. Yeah, right? I was going to say so they got yeah. they got enough be okay. to play with here, and and yeah, they're gonna, they have plenty of assets to still build their team. And thinking way too far ahead, they might already be thinking one of those top five picks we're going to have, we could trade out and get that pick back anyway. Well, that's so. always the the always the thing too of like, you know, some of these teams make a trade and they have a feel too of what's coming up in the class. Yep. And you know, for a guy like me, I'm not there yet, so I don't know, you know. But I think that's a big part of it. Like, who was I think? Oh, uh, you know. You know, again, like this is a little off that, but like the Raiders trading Darren Waller last year, right? They traded Darren Waller. I know it was the off season. They got rid of him though because they were like, "Whoa, there's like seven tight ends that are awesome, right?" And exactly. he's kind of getting banged up, and we're paying him a lot of money, and his knee's got an issue there, and it always seems like it's something. So you abandon ship there, and I'm sure the Bears have a pretty good feel for what the next uh, next draft class is gonna gonna provide for them. All right, this one about the Commanders from Neil Mo, 2010. What's up, homies? Do you think the Washington D-line can still be a problem after losing Sweat and Young? I think Sweat especially is a big loss for that line. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I do. See, see, there's a Commander fan who knows, and see, he's watching, and he's going, wait, Sweat's the guy. Yes. Sweat's awesome. Like, Sweat is an amazing and run defender, and like I said, he's a damn good pass rusher as well. Um, there's still going to be a handful with those two in the middle, you know, but... but but, yeah, to the same degree, absolutely not. There's no guys behind them that are in that class of or caliber of specimen player. No no way. You know, but it's, it's, that's what's disappointing about Washington. It's what has been disappointing the whole year. You know, I made fun of them a little bit early in the football season because I'm going, wait, you got five first-rounders in your front seven. There's seven people in the front seven. Five of them are first-rounders, and you got a defensive head coach, and Jack Del Rio is your defensive coordinator, and your defense sucks. That's not, that's not acceptable, right? It's really so crazy. It, it is crazy. It is. Um, and that's why, you know, I think we're thinking we, they don't stay, stay, stay around much longer. But, no, there'll they'll be a drop-off uh, for sure, and I, I think that defense will, will show it on the field. Around any corner. 
Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love, up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's day with gifts up to 60% off. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. The last big trade here, we kind of hinted at this one. The Seahawks acquire Leonard Williams from the Giants for a second-round pick this year and then 2025 fifth-round pick. Our yeah. first question is from Tampa to, Tampa 2 coach. I actually love when you and Connor team up. Don't you think the Seahawks would have been better off with one of those Washington edge rushers over Leonard Williams? I think a lot of people are missing, though, the Seahawks won, I think. Their young edge rushers are turning they're, they're, the corner I agree. this year. I agree. I, I, nobody's really paying attention to that. No, I know. And Leonard Williams gives them that interior beef that now you're starting to become a little bit more stout. That wasn't Chase Young's game. Right. No, I th- I, exactly right. Exactly right. I think you, you hit it on it right, too. They got some edge guys that, you know, whether it's Taylor – you know, the rookie Haw from Auburn, right? Um, Boye Mafe a little Boye bit. Boye Mafe's yeah. had a very good year. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're missing somebody else. Um, oh, they just got Frank Clark, right? That's right. So they got a little depth and talent there. At the, I know everybody looks at it and goes, wait, they lost Uchina Nawusu. They're not going to be okay. And it's like, no, no, they are going to be okay. And I think really, too, the big thing with the Seattle Seahawks, and if you kind of break them down, right, their, their pass defense has not been good this year. It's, and, of course, it's not because of lack of talent in their secondary. It's not. It's they've had to worry too much in, in loading the box to try to stop people from running the football. And like we just talked about, if you're gonna, they, they looked at it, I think, the other day and went, wait, we got a chance this year. We're, we're here. You know? We got a chance to win the NFC West. We got a chance to, you, know, you don't know how it plays out. The 49ers and the Eagles got to play each other in the divisional yeah. round, and we just got to beat one of them to go to the Super Bowl. We could do that, right? So I think that's where they looked at it. I think they looked at it and said, wait, the 49ers and the Eagles are the class still. And, oh, wait, Detroit and that big O line. Oh, no, we got to worry about them too. I think that's where they looked at it too. And now they don't have to relegate so many people around the line of scrimmage to stop the run. Now you got a Draymond Jones, who's a baller, and then you couple him with Leonard Williams, who were both very versatile D tackle D ends can do three four can play right. four three to where now they can not have to be so aggressive with their secondary to help out in the run and I think cover a little bit more and I think it's going to make them a more you know effective defense altogether but I think your your point is the right point 
that they got some young up and comers. You know, uh, what the hell is his name from Tennessee? Darion uh, t- uh, Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, I know. Darrell Taylor. Durrell, it's Darrell, right? Yep. Yeah, that's Darryl, it. Right. Darrell. Darrell. Yeah. Right. I, I was. I don't know why I wanted to say Davion or whatever. They, they've but, taken second round swings on athletes at Edge. It feels like forever. Yes, they and have. It's, it's starting they, to work out a little. It bit. is starting to work out, and they're kind of doing it. Yeah, it might not be one superstar, but it's like a lot of good guys with depth, and they can rotate them in, and they're fresh. And uh, of course, they're psychos because they play for the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. Our next Seahawks question is from Mehmet305. Does the potential possibility of re-signing Leonard Williams in the offseason have any influence on the Seahawks to prefer him over the sweat or young who got traded for less? Well, uh, you know, I think so. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I would think before they made this trade, they, they looked at, you know, the balance of their checkbook and went, wait, can we, you know, give – Give the Giants a second round. Can we make this work for him long-term wise? I don't think he's going to ask for top-of-the-market type money. He's but, from the West Coast. Right. He's already got That's a massive right. payday. USC guy. Right. USC guy, yeah. Right. And I think he's not going to get like um, some of the D-tackle contracts we saw. He'll be like that second group yep. underneath it. And I think they're probably thinking they can afford that. Let's take a look at the NFC West odds and the upcoming schedule, courtesy of our friends at DraftKings, of course. When you look at the Niners there on the left, they are on the bye. They got Jacksonville, the Bucks at Seattle. That is a NBC and Peacock game at the Eagles and then the Seahawks again. The Seahawks, of course, they have the Ravens. Tough week nine for them. The Commanders, ironically, as we talked about a lot today, at the Rams. 49ers once again, Cowboys 49ers. Yeah, it's a tough stretch right there. I mean, for both football teams. I mean, again, the Seahawks with yep. the Ravens this week. You know, I'd be, I could argue that the, the Ravens are 1A. Like the Eagles are the best team in football. The Ravens are right there with them. I, I think the world of the Ravens. Now, yeah, they got the Commanders. They got the Rams. They're certainly better than them. You know, Rams, though, they know how to defend Seattle. It's a divisional game. That's scary. 49ers, two out of three weeks. With the Cowboys sandwiched in, we're going to have a real good feel for where both of these teams stand. Because you know, you know, the the Forty Niners after their bye, I'm like that with the what I just said about the Ravens. I'm going to say the same thing about the Jaguars. The Jaguars are one of the best teams in football. They are. Now, they're still growing as a team, but their talent and what they have on their roster, they are a Super Bowl-caliber football team, and my, for my money. Uh, got the Buccaneers after that, but then Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks, as we know, uh, that's going to go a long way there for the 49ers and Seahawks to figure out who wins the NFC West. The Niners, minus 235 to win this division. The Seahawks, plus money at plus 200, and ultimately, Chris, it'll probably be decided by the two games those against two, each other. Three, that's, right. that's why you're, those are division games. That'll they, get personal when you play yes. a team twice in, in two weeks, you know, or, or yeah. 14 days, basically. Oh, you a lot know, of the, adrenaline. The, in those the, ones. The, yeah. It gets personal. You can still remember the things the guys in the field said to you or how you played. It's really still very visual in your brain there that, that, that does make it personal. Don't forget, on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat, same-gay parlay every day. <laughs> Download the app and use the promo code UNBUTTONED when you sign up. DraftKings Draft Sportsbook, Sportsbook, the crowd, crowd is, is yours. yours. Man, I have that in, ingrained in my brain right now. Barry, <laughs> sure Barry likes to say the crown is mine oh, right. on Happy Hour. Very, that, that very fitting. Him. That's yes. very fitting. Very me, fitting. me, I, I, Matthew Barry. <laughs> Yes, it does fit very oh, well. Oh, man. All right, some breaking news here on the uh, on the show. The Raiders will start rookie Aiden O'Connell at quarterback over Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. 
I mean, if you did all the other things, this was obviously the logical probably next I'm, move, I'm right? All, off the top of well, yeah, you know, Jimmy signed a what? How many year deal? Was it, it was a one? A two it's a two year, year deal, yeah, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll check the so, how much of it is real one, money. One, you know, like you said, Jimmy's a bridge starter. I think Jimmy's about to be relegated as a backup quarterback. Really, I think that's where we're going here, and he's got an injury history. I thought it was a two-year deal, too. That's why I was asking, right? I probably should have looked that up before we started here. But I would think a little bit of, like, what happened with the Colts and Matt Ryan last year. Technically a three-year deal. It's technically a three-year deal. Technically a three-year deal. So it's technically a three-year, 72-point, But they can probably get out of it after this year. Exactly. 45 guaranteed, 33.75 fully guaranteed at signing. Um, it's basically one of those things where there's a massive roster bonus due in 2024. So when you're looking at yes. if he's designated as a post-June 1st cut after this year, they would save $13 million on the cap, but it would cost them over $15.5 million to do that. Ooh, yeah. I, so, well, but I wouldn't be shocked, honestly. Yeah. They just take the savings and call it. I, I think so. I think that's right? where we're going. One, he hasn't played well. Two, he's got an injury history. And and three, they don't want to be, wait, oh, wait, he gets hurt for the year, and now we're stuck, stuck with paying him fully yep. last year or next year. So that's where, you know, this is like when Jim Ursay and, and Frank Reich, that's why they benched Matt Ryan last year. It was the same thing. Wait, we're not doing good. You know, he's not playing good. He's getting older, and we don't want to be on the hook for what we might have to pay him for the following year. I think it's the same thought here. And hey, you get to see what you got in Aiden O'Connell. You go from there, but I'm not surprised by that move at all. All right. So the Raiders moving on to, I wouldn't call it a new era because they obviously could still end up taking their quarterback of the future, but O'Connell's going to get a shot. Yes, exactly right. And, okay. then, and I think, you know, in all in all, he did a good job, you know, in the time he has played. Yeah, he's not. He's not the answer. I can tell you that right yeah. now. He's not. But I think going forward for the Raiders, he could be your backup quarterback for a long, long time. I think that's the good thing. And that alone would be a win. We'll continue trade deadline. Ask me anything. Lions acquired wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones from the Browns for a 2025 sixth-round pick. Corey Joskowitz asks us, does the DPJ trade from the Browns to Lions speak to the lack of development by Jamison Williams? Feels like they play the same role. Also need Pete... I always say, I mess up his last name like you do, too. Damalatis? Damalatis? Damalatis. Damalatis. All right. On the pod soon. Chris's imitation is making you look bad. What have you done to Pete on the podcast? Well, I, I just, I won. I've always had fun with his name. I used to go hit Pete Damalatis. I I don't do that as much anymore. But then I got on Pete, I think, two weeks ago for his laugh. He has like a cackle. It's a, it's a great it's laugh. It's like the Joker. It actually makes you feel like what you said was really funny, exactly. which I appreciate. Yes, yeah. right, right. So that's where I've had some fun, and people <laughs> want to hear that. And I do think we should probably open up the mic for Pete. I've been saying that. You just need to make him because Pete's always in our ear. He's part of this pod. People want to hear from him. They hear me talking about him all the time. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to get that. Free Pete. Uh, our man, Corey Joskowitz, who we appreciate your questions always. you the man. Um, I don't think this is about Jamison Williams. I think there might be a little bit of insurance there. Jamison Williams, again, he's, he's coming along, right? It's, it's, it's not the easiest situation. He got drafted, and he was not 100%, and he was never 100% last year. And then, of course, you, you get suspended for four games, right? He's a young kid. He's still getting used to the NFL, Right, And from everything I've heard, he is a young kid. He's still a little immature in right. some of his ways and becoming a professional. The one thing you cannot deny, and again, you saw it on Monday night a little bit, he can fly. He can absolutely fly. 
I think this is more about just bolstering the room together, right? And, you know, I think it's more of a we just need another proven commodity because if Amon Ross St. Brown goes down, we're almost into it's Josh Reynolds has got to be the meat and potatoes wide receiver for the most part, right? I know they got Khalif Raymond. He's a good player, but he's not like a guy you're going to go, well, let's make every pass play for him this week. He's a smaller jitterbug gadget type of receiver, yeah. right? So now you have another guy, you know, whether an Amon Ross St. Brown goes down for a little bit or a Josh Reynolds goes down a little bit, we got a guy that can work the middle of the field, has a physical presence as a receiver, can catch a slant over the middle and take a hit and do all that. A true professional with some size and yeah a little bit of speed to to that always has surprised me actually coming coming to college that that can beat you deep but I don't think it's necessarily about Jamison Williams I do think though it kind of just helps that room and gives them one more for sure thing on the roster uh to to depend on instead of just having two guys and then going I hope Jamison comes to where we think he is by week 14 or 15 right and I, I think they're protecting themselves that way and I mean the cost was almost nothing. Yes, exactly. Right. Six round the pick Browns had moved on. They right. were, they, which was a surprising to me. But the Browns made it pretty clear a few weeks ago that it was it's going to be Elijah Moore, uh, uh, Amari Cooper, and um, I think they like Cedric Tillman and a Cedric lot too. Tillman too. They got yeah. him, who's very much like a Donovan Peoples yes, Jones, big right? Wide exactly right. 100%. So that, that, that's that's where I think their head is at. This next one from Caruso Bill, uh, with the Bills acquiring cornerback Rizul Douglas and a fifth round pick for a third round pick. He asked, Bills trading for corner instead of wide receiver. Good decision? It, it's, it's not horrible. I don't know. And I, of course, would like to have seen them get another receiver. I've been saying that. Um, you know, I don't know if any of those guys would have been such, like, you know, such an upgrade to where I'm like, oh, they're okay now. They got Donovan People-Jones. You mean they got another Gabe Davis, right? I mean, right? So, exactly. So I don't know if there was a guy there that really can make a difference for them. I will say, as I said on Sunday night, if the Bills can – if the Bills can show they can throw the ball and distribute to the other guys and really have an offense for you know Shakir and really get Gabe Davis the ball, take a little pressure off of Allen that way and the Diggs combination, then they can be okay there. Now we just got to see them do it. They got to apply it in the playbook and apply it on the field on Sundays. Um, I, I think the, the the trading though for Rasul Douglas is a is a good thing. Their secondary has been banged up, and you worry yeah. about it. Right, they don't. They don't trust a lot of their young corners. No. I mean, they obviously used the first on Kyrie Elam. They never they trusted do. him. You can tell they don't. No, I mean, they no. don't want to play him. No, so. no. You know, Elam is. Um, I liked him in the draft. I didn't love him because what I worried about was he's he's fast straight away. He's got some strength. His change of direction I'm skills are below average for that position. And I think that's where they probably don't like him. And yeah, you know, Rasul's a guy that can kind of do everything, really. I mean, he can play safety, he can play corner, he can play nickel. And I think that's probably where it's a, a good thing for the Bills there. This one from Billy Mustafa. Did Connor have his eye on anyone for the Jets, or was he hoping for the Jets to maybe be a seller on a particular player? You know, it's interesting. I, I thought that they would maybe look to move Carl Lawson or Dalvin Cook just because right. they don't play a lot, yeah. really. But at the end of the day, I'm sure nobody probably wanted them i think that would be number that one contract for, me. for a guy that's had two serious knee injuries exactly right? yeah was, maybe three i think maybe with carl Lawson. he had the three? hip in college right and, and then, then he had he, one he has, with the Bengals, didn't he at, yes a knee? he, he and did then, have of course, he, so it's a third so this is three injuries right. now and getting closer to 30 
Um, I and agree then, with you. There's not going to be a market for that. There's no market. And what that's, he's making money-wise, no way. And then going out and getting someone, that's where it's tricky. Because the Jets, you know they're running out of players on the offensive line. The only guy that really got moved yesterday was Ezra Cleveland. They brought Roger Saffold in right. on the practice squad. Yeah. I always say this when people ask this, and I think it's a totally fair question. There are no offensive linemen at the trade deadline. There's barely any during camp cuts. No. The, There's this is barely league, any for teams to build a f- team this in the offseason right now. This is starving for yes. offensive line. Honestly, right. I'm at the point with offensive line play in the NFL where if I was going into a draft with all seven of my picks every year, yeah. I think I would mandate three of them should be on the offensive I, line. I, I I'm getting that. closer to that point I, I, where I, I would take you. at least one guy that I think can play in year one and then at least another, maybe two guys that are developmental yeah, athletes. Right, like I see it in them and, and yeah, in the let's year see what or two, we have. he could help us out and maybe start on our football team, let alone just maybe be a great backup. I, I, I Listen, I, I think it's it's um, one of the hardest things to acquire in football right now, like you said. We've had these conversations, you and I, yep. right? I mean, I think the, the, there's more good D linemen ever in the history of football, like ever. It, it's the, the D lines are stacked, some of them. And so there's way more talent there. And if there is an injury, D lines for the most part don't fall apart because there's so much talent on them. No, it doesn't matter what D line it is. O line, it's teams can barely put five together. And if there is an injury, and especially at O line where being five and conducive to and working to each other and all that, there's there's great value in that. Yeah, there's not enough. Let alone we've had this conversation where I'm getting back to is college football. It just right now that's where college football has failed the NFL in that. The fact that college football, the spread, we're just going to get our eyes in space right. and do this, they, it's gone back to kindergarten football. It, it's, there's one run and there's one pass protection in all college football unless you're in the SEC or the Big Ten. And other than that, it's like, oh my gosh, this is elementary. And those, if you look at it for the most part, are where all the linemen come from, is the Big Ten and the SEC. They're all from there for the most part. And uh, it's a problem there. And yeah, there's none available, to your point, at the trade deadline. You know how every draft we always start a quarterback scouting report with, like, st- comes from a pro-style offense? Yeah. You should almost be doing that now with offensive linemen. Oh, no it, some of these guys that come out aren't even taking true pass sets. It's all quick game. It's all you know, three steps. Step, step to the left. Step to the right. Close that right. gap off. That's all it is. Right. right. They have no idea how to man to man pass protect. They don't know how to block down. Block down. Let's pull around the edge. You kick out. I wrap inside. Some of those things we've never made a dual call in our lives. Like where the guard and the center are going to block the nose tackle, and one of us is going to go up to the, the linebacker. Like we've never even done that. You know, there's things that like are basic NFL things where you look at college football and go. These guys have no clue how to do this. They've never done it. And that's where I've always, like, you know, calm down with the rookie offensive linemen, like, overgrading them too early on in the yeah. career. It's a huge adjustment at that position. There's way more offense in their brain. There's way better caliber players they're going against on the other side of the ball, you know. And there's an adjustment period for that, even when you come from the Big Ten or the SEC at offensive line. It's still an adjustment period. This last Jets one from Miri Jets. Why didn't the Jets go get a wide receiver such as Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Darnell Mooney, or even Hunter Renfro? Garrett Wilson seems to be the only guy that can get open and not drop passes. Thanks, guys. I'm happy I get another pod with the Connor and Chris duo. Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, I think that was one that I, you know, I think we all thought maybe could be something they look at. At least I was thinking that. Like, would they try to uh, find somebody? You know, I, I, I'm. I don't know what the answer is there. I, I will say this, like, you know, was Darnell Mooney up for grabs there? Anybody right. like that? I, I didn't don't, hear I don't that. know, right? It doesn't sound like Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. From from everything I know, 
you know, the last few weeks, Denver basically went, no, we're going to keep our team. We're going to try to build that's what here. what it feels like. Yeah, that's what it definitely was. And I know They're this. winning now. I know there was some teams that were in talks with Denver three weeks ago about trades and things like that, and they pulled back on everything. So that, that all ended. You don't want Hunter Renfro. You, you don't want him. It's the Hunter Renfro. Did you watch the game on Monday night? He can't run. He can't get away from anybody. It, there's a reason he hadn't been playing much. He's in owed a lot the of Raiders. Money. I know. The, the, so yeah, you don't want him. him all the time. Right. And was he at 13 million? What, what was I think it? 11. 11. Right. So <laughs> right. It's a lot of money for a guy that I think is very questionable to go. Is he already past his prime? Right. And as I've said on this podcast, some of these smaller receivers, it's ending in the NFL. I know from too many coaches I text with and coach that it's just like you have to be out of this world quick if you're small. Defenders have got – there's too much man-to-man in the NFL. They know how to take away leverage and make things too hard on these smaller guys to where they can't get off, bump and run, or some of the physical coverages they got to. And I think that's the problem with, with uh, Hunter Renfro. And the Jets just went through this with Braxton Berrios and Elijah Moore. They're, they were small at wide receiver, the Jets. And then they made it a mission to not be small anymore. They have Xavier Gibson out there, an undrafted free agent. But that's a little different right. of an investment. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it goes back to the point of you just don't really know what's available. No, you don't know what we don't know what was available. I don't think any of those guys were really available, uh, and um, you know the Jets. The Jets, uh, I think they're content with like we're going to play defense. We're going to continue to try to run the ball, and as you saw last week, if as long as Zach Wilson just doesn't turn it over, or do anything dumb, the, the Jets have a chance to win every game. That's really what it is. As long as he can manage the game, make a few passes here and there, don't make any mistakes offense, they are going to be a handful no matter who they play, as in why you know they came back last week against the Giants or beat the Eagles a few weeks ago. Our last Ask Me Anything is Giants related from E. Neal underscore 2000. Should the Giants have traded Saquon? Well, I, I don't think so. I don't. You know, He's one of the few blue-chip players they have on their football team, and I look at it and go – I don't think he has limited years here left. I still think he's got a lot of juice in the tank here. So that's where I wouldn't have given up on him, let alone I don't think the market for a running back and a guy who wants a huge contract and be paid and all that and does have a little bit of an injury history as well, I don't think the market is what people think it is for that guy. You know, everybody with running backs, it sucks. Everybody looks at him and goes, damn, he's a good player. Whoa, you want that for him, though, a running back? And yeah. then that's where there's a disconnect in – the running back position right now. And realistically, they could just tag Saquon again. I know that kind of stinks, but that's the reality of the position right now where it's not like it's not a situation. The commanders probably saw it with their DNs. They're like, we're not going to be able to pay this whole defensive line. Exactly the right. The Giants aren't looking at Saquon Barkley like, well, he's walking at the end of the year. Let's get something. They'll just retain team control no, if that, they have to. If they have to. Or, you know, it, with these type of situations too, they might be able to dangle a contract out there for two or three years where Saquon goes, you know what, I love the Giants, I grew up in this area, right, and I don't know if I'm really going to be able to get more on the market. If I am, is it going to be significantly more than where I want to change my life? And I think they might be able to get kind of a hometown type of deal for a guy like Saquon in this situation. 
All right, coming up is your Week 8 film review. I have to run. Ah, damn, so, you are big time. Just, uh, not big time, just busy. Yeah. So, <laughs> you're going to go with uh, Matthew Barry, do some fantasy talk. Yeah, we'll I see what that. happens today. You're going to leave me all to myself to where I have to read my damn notebook myself. To so be that honest, should be fun. You know? I, I really wanted to stay until the last 30 seconds right. because that would be very now, unbanned. Barry for... will be right there. He won't be there I'll yet. I'll beat him. Right. I will beat him if I Well, if let I me know if you want to stay here at 11.59. Yeah. I'm down. We can change the, uh, the rundown I, right now. I, I really wanted to stay for the film review. I got to read some of your notes last night, which is always fun, but I always appreciate you having me. Hey, man. you're the man. I appreciate Thanks, you coming Sims. on, saving the day for us, looking cool. We'll, we'll as do it always. again. We'll do we it will, again soon. We will do Especially it again with the draft. soon. Uh, yeah, we will. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be a, a few more times where you got to fill in for Ahmed, who does a lot of work for NBC as well. All right. Uh, Connor's going to step out, and then we're going to dive into the week eight film review. What the F happened, AKA Treasure Hunters, coming up next. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love, up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. All right. Connor Rogers is gone. He's off to his fantasy show, and now it's what the fuck happened time. Okay, we're going to dive into it. First one, the Bengals overs the 49ers day. A few things I want to hit on here first up. All right, I want to say this. You know, and I didn't write notes for this part of it, but I'm going to start it off and kind of go off script for a second with Pete Demolitis here. Is that, you know, a lot of talk this week, are, are they going to bench Brock Purdy, right? The world's lost its mind. I mean, literally two weeks ago, everybody was telling me he's Tom Brady. Now we're going, is he going to bench Brock Purdy? All right, uh, come on. It's not that drastic. And, you know, the Vikings game, there was a lot of good. Yeah, he threw two picks at the end of the football game. You know, one was a little bit out of a desperation. Another one, yeah, he made a mistake, threw the ball too early. I don't know if the route was run correctly. All right, last week, let me say this clearly here, right? Brock Purdy, watching that game back, it might have been, yeah, and I know he's got the two turnovers. I get that. You take away those two turnovers. I think Brock Purdy made more plays and great throws in the game last week against the Cincinnati Bengals than he's made in any other game so far in his NFL career. I, in fact, when I went back and watched it, I went, if Brock Purdy didn't make some of these unbelievable throws, the 49ers are going to get blown out. I mean, that's just the simple fact of it. He was actually, that's where stats can lie. I understand 
you know, we're all looking at, okay, he threw two interceptions late in the game, and you can't do that. We know that. He knows that. Everybody knows that. I get it. But still, the play itself throughout the game does not warrant anything about benching a quarterback. It really was high level. Some of the third down throws, five, you know, five for nine on third down. I mean, they were in some, some of them were in tough situations. He made some big time throws in this game that went above and beyond, you know, the Shanahan system and all that. So I actually saw some encouraging things there. I think he'll learn, grow from it, and, uh, you know, protect the ball better as we go here. And they got to help him out, as we've talked about. It can't just be the Brock Purdy show. He's not Mahomes or, or Josh Allen or that. He does need a little, we got to run the ball. We need Debo back healthy, all that. Now, let's hit on the Bengals overs, the 49ers day. All right, I think here's the first things we, we just headlines right off the bat. Okay, one Joe Burrow being healthy. I mean, duh. His his movement, his ability to move four or five times a game, scramble, get out of the pocket, and make a throw. You know, for an offense that you know and I know, and I've been telling you guys, all you listeners out there, that doesn't exactly like blow the doors off in creativity. Those plays are huge for that football team. They are right. Then I think when you couple on that he is healthy, right, and he can move and he can feel confident. He felt good in the pocket. He's not worried about protecting the calf or anything like that. He threw the ball unbelievable. He The decision-making was unbelievable. As I say about Joe Burrow, he is the greatest zone pocket-passing quarterback in football. Nobody can manipulate a zone, read it out quicker than he can, and find the soft spot and wheel and deal better than he. He's amazing. I think the other thing we're going to talk about this football game, hey, the offense continues to grow, but the big thing is the O-line. The O-line brought it to the 49ers. That was the, one of the big things. You know, in the run game with Joe Mixon, and it was really the first game all year where I went, hey, Joe Burrow's got good pass protection. Right? I know he was under pressure a few times, but for the most part, he got to sit back there, take a hitch, take two hitches, whatever else, and kind of read it out. And then I think the other thing on top of that, and as we'll dive into this here a little is, yeah, I still think we're in the process of Steve Wilkes trying to figure out how the 49ers you know, call defenses, right? One of the things I wrote in my notes the last few weeks, you know, I think the 49ers, it's time for them to be more of the aggressor, right? Maybe take some tactical chances. Maybe blitz a little bit more than what they have. I think right now, you know, it's a little too much in lineup and what we're in. There's not a lot of great disguises, right? There's no blitzes like I'm talking about. And they're not, they're not good enough right now at this moment to just go, hey, this is what we're playing. We're lining up in it. We're going to be sound and then we're going to be to play fast and it doesn't matter if you know what defense there is and we're going to still kick your ass they're not playing good enough for that so that's where I do think they got to trick it up a little bit right and you know Pete maybe that's where we get to the the blitz the the blitz graphic how did the Bengals O-line hold up versus the 49ers you know San Francisco's 21 percent blitz rate is the third lowest in the league and last week it was an NFL low 13 percent right so that is a lot of pressure on your defensive line to, to get to the quarterback. And the Bengals, it looked like in the bye week, have figured some things out, certainly upped their game. And across the board, they were much, much better in the football game. That's for sure. All right, but I think, you know, as we get into this and, and uh, look at the how did the Bengals' offensive scheme look, right, and all that, I think, one, we saw again – 
an offense that kind of knew the rules of the 49ers, and if we motion here or get in this formation, we got a pretty good idea that they're going to play one of these two coverages, and we know the rules, and we're going to try to expose it, right? And maybe that's where we want to go inside the notebook, right? That's where I'll show you first here. We got the photos of uh, the, the Bengals' third TD, okay? And it was a play that was in the last week. We kind of talked about, and, and I think my, my notebook will pop up here in a second, um, where you know, last week we talked about a play in the Vikings game where when it was like a slot receiver man-to-man, they want to protect against the slot fade, right? That's what they're worried about and some of those bump man-to-man type of situations. Well, they got here, you know, this is to, to, to make the game, I think, 24-10, to 10. Uh, after one of the Brock Purdy turnovers, they act like they're going to throw the little bubble screen to the right to Tyler Boyd, right? And within that, usually the guy in front of him, in this case it's Jamar Chase, he goes out and blocks the guy that's supposed to cover Tyler Boyd. And in this case, it's Charvarius Ward. So, you know, now what happens in these type of things, these two-on-two type of situations, you run this type of play or this type of concept here and it put more stress on it in the fact that they have Chase on the ball inside with Boyd just on the outside of him. Right. So now what happens when the, the defense sees this kind, kind of combination, right? 26 Oliver, his thought is, wait, Chase is about to go block Charvarius Ward. So I'm the one that's going to have to go and make the tackle, right? And within that, Chase comes off the ball, looks like he's going to block Charvarius Ward, and then he shoots up the field. But there was a little bit of a hesitation by Oliver because he's going, wait, we've talked about this in our meeting rooms and all this, and when they run this little bubble screen, well, the guy that's covering Tyler Boyd is going to be blocked by my guy. So I'm the one that has to react and make the tackle. He pauses for a second because he sees Boyd run that bubble. It kind of gets him to hesitate between that and Jamar Chase kind of stock blocking off the line of scrimmage, and then Jamar Chase goes, go go gadget legs and he flies by him for an easy touchdown so there was again some of that in the football game and I think that's where the 49ers are a hair too vanilla right now with what they're doing you know I love the way they play defense but I gotta they gotta disguise and trick it up put people at the line of scrimmage back out do whatever I, I think that's the thing I'm looking for and you know Pete we got that screenshot right of the 49ers show blitz and back out and sack sack Joe Burrow I, I think that's a good thing to show here in this situation um, because to me this is what I would like to see more from the 49ers uh, is that, you know again, I love the way they do things and play football, but you know find ways to still do what you do, but don't let the quarterback and the offense feel so comfortable in that we know exactly what you're doing. You see here, there's seven guys at the line of scrimmage, right? It's man-to-man across the board. So it's right now, it's like, wait, I'm getting man. It looks like they're going to blitz. Who's blitzing? Let's go to the next screenshot, Pete, if we can. So you look at that, and now look what happens. They gave all these man-to-man clues, and you're thinking, well, it's surely man-to-man blitz. And what happens? They drop back and play Tampa 2. 
You have if you're a quarterback, you have no fucking clue that Tampa two is about to end up being the final coverage here, right? Let alone with linebackers like we saw showed in the first the first shot, and maybe we can go back to that one more time, Pete, the first one if we can, where the first shot, the linebackers standing at the line of scrimmage and all that, those are little things that create an advantage for your D line. Because the O line is they're seeing Fred Warner in between the defensive tackle and the end. They're making calls in case he blitzes. Wait, you got to take him if he blitzes and I got him and I got him, right? And all of a sudden, oh, set hut and he drops and oh, wait, we were getting ready to, you know, to block something else and now it's changed and oh no, now I got to get back out to my guy who I was going to take originally before they got in this disguise. So that little bit of hesitation can be just enough for a, a, a Chase Young or a Nick Bosa or an Eric Armstead to get home to the quarterback. So there. We saw we they dropped into Tampa too, but that little hesitation that it caused for the offensive line, boom, here you go. And you see here Nick Bosa getting the sack off the edge and down goes Joe Burrow. That's to me more of what we gotta see from the 49ers uh and when they're at their best. But I think all in all, it was not a good game by the 49ers, certainly. They had some mistakes. Uh you know, and, and again I think because of how little they're disguising I think they overreact a little bit to like wait the team just did this to us so now we got to call this defense I think there's got to be a little bit more of playing with the mind of the offense overall big picture wise and not just overreact to what a team is doing us to in that exact moment I see a little bit of that and yeah within that too uh, I think the 49ers have messed up a few situations certainly and 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 I want to show one more play here, too, to where, again, I think the Bengals have a great feel of what what the 49ers were doing on defenses on defense and then how to kind of maybe expose their rules and make them think a little bit here. And I want to show one more screenshot or picture here of another one of my drawings here and a big moment of the football game. I believe this was second and ten. And you could see Jamar Chase. There's three for all those that are not watching on our YouTube page. There's three receivers to the right, um, and we got one to the left. So, so we got Chase to the right, Tyler Boyd to the right of him, and then T. Higgins to the right of him. Those are the three receivers to the right. Irv Smith is split out on top to the left, and then we got Mixon to the left of Joe Burrow and the shotgun. All right, and what we got here is really your. Cover three quarters. Everything's based on that for the 49ers. All right. And what the two receivers on the bottom, Higgins and Boyd, they're going to run double post. Irv Smith at the top of the screen is going to run a shallow cross. Jamar Chase is going to chip the D end and then also run a shallow cross. All right. And this is where teams are messing with the 49ers a little bit. And I want to just show this. If the Jamar Chase runs a deep cross in this scenario, Hufunga is going to be responsible for him. The weak side safety towards the top of the screen. If he runs a shallow cross, Fred Warner is the one that has to take him. Okay, so they're playing a kind of a cover three, but they're locked on the backside. Greenlaw is covering Mixon, and Lenore is covering Irv Smith. 
basically man-to-man, and now they're going to go, we're going to play our five-on-three zone on your other receivers. We showed this last week in the Vikings game. So let's go to the next clip there, Pete. And there you see it. So now, Fred Warner, who is responsible for Jamar Chase, he loses his way here a little bit. We know how great Fred Warner is, but, you know, one, I think he sees the, the blocking or the chipping there, and he doesn't stay with Jamar Chase, and I think he follows Joe Burrow's eyes a little bit, and he thinks, wait, teams do stuff like this and throw in cuts behind me and do stuff like that all the time. So he's probably a little worried about that. And then off of that, see what we got here, right? So you see Hufunga up top. He is helping Tashawn Gibson on the first of the double posts, all right? All right, so that I think is all right. As I said, Lenore took Irv Smith on the shallow cross. Dre Greenlaw on the swing route is being cleared out by Joe Mixon. And now, you know, Fred Warner, who kind of loses his way a little bit, and I don't know if he forgot the rule of, wait, if it's a shallow cross, it's my guy. If it's a deep cross, it's Hufunga. Maybe he was thinking Hufunga had him all the way. But my knowledge of this coverage altogether is that, yeah, this is one where it's a zone, but... Fred Warner has a rule with this type of route combination that he goes, wait, I got to run with that guy in this scenario there. So, so there you see he's late to recognize it. And now you got Jamar Chase crossing the field on a first and 10, excuse me, and he gets an easy compla- completion. They rally and I think tackle him to make it second and one. Right, And then the next play, they actually throw another pass play where they kind of know what the 49ers are in, and they get, Fred, they get Fred Warner in a one-on-one situation with Joe Mixon, and they convert the first down. Um, so those, again, are some of the examples overall of what's going on there in San Francisco. They're still a really good defense. I think the bye week will be huge. Acquiring Chase Young, and then the defensive staff, Wilkes, getting in a meeting room with Shanahan, going over the first part of the season, making adjustments to, hey, how Shanahan and that defensive staff who's been in this defensive system for a long time, how they envision things, I think it will go a long way to helping that 49ers team. But the main point here is 49ers got to be better. Brock Purdy played a lot better than people think, made a lot of big-time plays. Defense has got to be better for the 49ers. And watch the fuck out for the Bengals. The Bengals, I think, it, it's real here. It, it's, it's back. And I expect the Bengals to kind of go on a run like we've seen them go on the last two years with Burrow being healthy and everything. I think they found their way on offense like we've talked about with the Bengals. When they start to get a feel for how teams are playing certain situations and personnel sets, they start to build a playbook off of that and they become damn good and damn effective. And I think when you couple that with the way the Bengals O-line played and if they can get a running game with Joe Mixon, because Joe Mixon, you know, you get him holes, he is still a dangerous mofo running the ball. He really is. He's still got pretty good speed, but more importantly, he just runs with a physicality and a recklessness that I love. And, yeah, he's a guy that runs hard, gets hit at five yards, and ends up falling forward for nine yards or maybe breaking the tackle and getting another ten yards after that. Uh, That, to me, was one of the big stories of the game. The Bengals O-line played their best game of the year. We'll see if they can continue that on Sunday Night Football this week against the Bills. That's going to be a fun one. Can't wait for it. All right, let's head to the other shocker of the day, right? The Chiefs offense versus the Broncos defense. Wow, right? I know. I'm. I couldn't wait to watch this yesterday. I'm going, man. This is. I'm. I'm really interested to see what this, what this Broncos defense did. All right, 
they must have done some creative stuff and really, you know, slowed down. And Mahomes has been playing really surgical, pretty damn good football from in the pocket. And I've liked everything about the way he's playing. All right. So then you get into the film and, and it'll throw out my first graphic. This was kind of my my end summation of this, of the of watching the film. And I, and I said, wish I could tell you it was some cool game plan by the Broncos. You know, they played good D. They were sound and just played not to give up the big play. And the Chiefs played like they were bored. And on top of that, it was the worst game I've seen Mahomes play in a long time. Uh, that's the bottom line, right? That's a game where Mahomes watched the film on Sunday or Monday, and he went, what the hell was I doing? What was I looking at? He missed some opportunities of people downfield open. He definitely got caught watching the rush a few times. He definitely got off the first read or predetermined in his own mind before the snap a handful of times during the game, too, where you go, what What are we doing here? Like, you're Mahomes. I've never seen you miss this before. It was the first time I had watched Mahomes and had thoughts of, this looked like 2020 Mahomes in the COVID year, where yeah, you watch games and you go, yeah, it was some good, but damn, there was some people open everywhere, and I don't know what he was looking at. I know he was sick and under the weather, and I think that you know maybe that affected some of his decision-making and just his comfortability uh, playing the game overall. But that was the big theme of the football game. And again, the Broncos played sound, soft coverage for the most part throughout the game, maybe sprinkled in a blitz here and there, you know, sprinkled in a man-to-man coverage for the most part. But the most part, it was soft zones, take away the big plays, and let's see if the Patriots, I mean, if the Patriots, if the Chiefs and Mahomes can be patient. And uh, Mahomes was off his game. And we got a bunch of screenshots I want to show you that we can get to to where I can kind of illustrate what's going on with Mahomes here. You know, here's a play, right? This is this is second play of the game, all right? So this was my first inkling of like, whoa, Mahomes is off here, you know? One, what he could have done here, he's looking to the left, and at the top of the screen, I believe he has Sky Moore on a, come, on a comeback route, and he's got Rasheed Rice underneath him where I go, one, the comeback route, he should have thrown it all day long on the top. Right, they got Faust, uh, Fabian Moreau, um, or not Fabian Moreau? Yeah, is a Fabian Moreau, um, the corner from UCLA covering Sky Moore. He's open on the top of the screen. You guys see Rasheed Rice? He's going to come open underneath that if he wants to go there. If he decided he wanted to play the bottom of the screen, right? And they have a cover two concept working here. Both guys are open here as well. They end up, and do we have another shot here that goes to it, or is this just the only one, Pete? Either way, both guys come open on the right side too, but Mahomes doesn't even give the guys on the top of the screen a chance. He moves on from Sky Moore before he even gets close to breaking out on his 15-yard comeback, and like I said, he was wide open. Patrick Mahomes just thrown a strike into it, let alone he could have checked it down to Rasheed Rice in front of him. Nothing happens there, okay? So... So ends up being a four-yard a four yard loss here for the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Now we get to the next play, and this is the very next play. And again, these are, these are context clues of, like, what do we got going here, right? And this is – where we got here? Okay, yes, gotcha. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to – this is hard hosting the show and talking about your notes at the same time. But 
Here's a very similar thing to the first play. On the top of the screen, Justin Watson is running an out-and-up comeback, right? And it's a great little concept because when, 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 when DBs see a double move, they start flying down the field because they're going, oh, no, they tried to double move me. They're going to throw a bomb deep. Moreau goes way deep, and Watson, as you can see in this screenshot, you throw the ball to the sidelines, he's wide open, let alone he has the guy in the flat on that same side where if he wants to get a completion and maybe make him make one guy miss, there's going to be something there, right? Ends up holding the ball, you know, and that's what happens when you pass up a completion, there's no guarantee you're going to find a completion. It's hard to find that in football. Now, Mahomes, it looks like he kind of w- w- watched the rush a little bit. He tries to look for something better. There's, there's nothing there to be had. He usually can make magic, but they got some guys in Denver with some edge guys that can run and track him down. He ends up having to throw it away. They punt the ball. Okay, so that was like early on in the football game. First drive, two of the first three plays, I went, uh-oh, Mahomes ain't seeing the field very good, and this is nothing drastic as far as what the Broncos are doing on the defensive side of the ball. It continues to be a theme throughout the game. Here's the middle of the first quarter, okay? This is this is cover three with a three-man rush, all right? You could see here at the bottom of the screen, they have a slant-flat combination with Watson and Jerick McKinnon, where if he throws the slant to Watson, which is why it's there for single safety, it's perfect for this concept. He's going to catch it. He might run for a touchdown. Either way, it's going to be a 10-yard completion. Here's the odd thing. It's a three-man rush. Mahomes throws the ball hot off his back foot like he's not protected, and he throws it to Travis Kelsey for like a one-yard gain or two-yard gain. And it's just one of those things, again, context clues where you go, man, what's he thinking? What's he doing here? Right, I know it's one thing. Like if the whole area is voided, you might go, "Hey, let me just get it to my guy and let him run." But there was guys in front of him. It was soft coverage once again. Like I've explained, it was soft coverage throughout the day. But this is basic one on one here, where oh, single safety defense. It's three deep zone, and I have a slant flat. You play the slant flat. Basic rules of the West Coast offense there. He doesn't for some reason and then throws an awkward, like I said, off his back foot throw. Again, more context clues of what the hell was Patrick Mahomes looking at. Here we got the interception in the second quarter. All right. It's Tampa 2. Okay. It's Tampa 2. The inside of the – he's got trips right. He's got a receiver to the left. Right. Tampa 2 with three verticals. Right? Okay, it's not really made for that. It's not. You know, the linebacker is going to take the inside of the three verticals. Okay, the nickelback, he's got nothing underneath him to worry about, so he's going to flow back, and he understands where the lanes are here as far as making, uh, you know, trying to get a, an interception. Uh, and, and Mahomes, like we kind of talked about, makes seems like he makes up his mind where he wants to go with the ball like I'm going to fit this ball into Travis Kelsey for a seam route I'm getting frustrated with how this day's going I'm going to make a big play 
when in actuality, against this coverage, he should be working the backside in cut, which is perfect against Tampa too, because the Will linebacker, he's worried about the trips receivers to the top, so he squeezes towards that side a little bit. There's a guy in the flat where Patrick Sertain, he is playing Tampa too. He has to worry about flat defense. And now there's a huge hole for Sky Moore in cover two on the left side for an easy 12-yard in cut. But for whatever reason, Mahomes had made up his mind. He was going to throw the ball to Travis Kelsey here. And uh, one of the stars of the day, um, Jaquan McMillan, gets the interception. He was all over the field all game long. Incredible job by him. Uh, And he gets the interception there, the first interception of Mahomes on the day. Okay. Here's right before halftime. You heard me say a few minutes ago, you know, points, completions, they're not easy to come by in the NFL. Right? You can't turn you can't turn them down. We get a completion here, Mahomes, right? It's not in rhythm. It's floating around Mahomes magic. It ends up being a good game gain. My point is this there was a touchdown to be had on this play. That's that's the real point here. And guess what? There was a touchdown to be had, and guess what happened on the next play? Patrick Mahomes got strip sacked, fumbled, and they don't get any points on this drive. Denver recovers, right? So that's what I mean. When you miss plays like this, there's a ripple effect usually. Mahomes and company can get away with it more than anybody because he's, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen all time. Let's go back to that last one just so I can explain it, okay? Just a little bit here. And because this is an overarching theme of the Chiefs in general that I think they need to be more aware of. They run these middle posts a lot of times, all right? And when they get single safety defenses, this is something John Gruden taught me at an early age, where single safety defenses, you got three receivers to the left and maybe the, or even two receivers to the left, but the one guy against a three deep zone or even a man to man is running like a deep cross post, right? A lot of the times, it really puts the single safety who's playing his deep middle, he can't get over to defend the crosser. And as you can see on this picture here, Valdez Scantling has nobody within six yards of him. And if Mahomes throws a ball like I know he can throw the ball, Valdez Scantling is going to catch the ball on the eight or nine yard line and be one-on-one with a safety and with a lot of space. And I'm going to say he probably scores. He doesn't score. Like I said, he gets a completion to Kelsey. It all looks good. But then the next play, and let's go to it, Pete, becomes the strip sack fumble. And you see here again where this is where I think Mahomes was looking at the rush a few times. You know, this again is another one where the coverage says to go to the backside in cut. He's, he, I do believe on this one, looks at the rush and then he's late to get his eyes up to realize wait, Sky Moore is open on the same 12 yard in cut we showed two plays ago, right? And he now is stepping up in the pocket and he, He's already missed Sky Moore open originally within the rhythm of the offense, but now he's moving and starting to scramble and do Mahomes magic, and Sky Moore is going to come open in those terms as well. But hey, yeah, the Denver defense with some of these edge guys, this Cooper, this Browning, you know, the the Bonito, they they're players. They fly around the football field, and of course Mahomes loses who's around him in the pocket, and as he's going to throw to Sky Moore, gets strip-sacked, fumbled, and the Denver Broncos end up getting the ball. But again, more examples of just Mahomes not being on his game. The pass protection was very good throughout. 
It wasn't an issue of, oh, he was under pressure. As you see right here, everybody's downfield, and he doesn't have anybody with around him, and he has a pocket to step up in. But I think because he was looking at the, po- uh, the pocket and the rush a little bit, and I'm, I know he wasn't feeling himself, he definitely was off his game um, in this one, and that was an issue. Um, we got one more here, right, Pete? We got one more throw I want to want to show here. This was uh, a pretty big moment. It was third quarter. We got a third and six here, and the Broncos. This is one of the few times they man and they blitz in the football game, as you see here on the screenshot. Mahomes has got a great pocket. There's nothing to worry about at all, and they have a little three man bunch combination on the top. And the whole thing is to mess the defense up and man to man. And we're going to have a combination where one of our guys is going to get open. Kelsey kind of comes off the ball and makes it look like he's going to run an out route, and he runs inside. And because of the two other receivers and how they were lined up around him, the guy covering Kelsey was playing outside leverage. Now he couldn't get quite through the traffic. Kelsey's wide open. I mean, he's wide open, right in front of Patrick Mahomes. You just don't see him do this much anymore. And he passes up the completion, and in my opinion, because he determined, wait, it's man-to-man, and I'm just going to – I'm frustrated. I'm going to make a big play right here, right now. Instead of kind of just reading it out and going, you know what, I'm going to look at my first read, which is Travis Kelsey, and if he's not open, then I'll push the ball down the field to the corner route to Justin Watson. He drops back here, lets the ball fly to Justin Watson on a corner route, who – had, a, had the guy beat by a step, but it was a tough throw. It's third and six. Take the best tight end in the history of football, get the first down, and continue to move the ball down the field. Instead, it ends up where I believe on this one they kicked a long field goal. They might have had a punt. I can't remember exactly what they did here, uh, but either way, it should have been a first down. And just another example of Mahomes not being on his game, not comfortable in the pocket, the clock in his head wasn't correct, and he certainly missed a, a missed a few shots in that one. So this will be interesting here. You know, he's going to have to get back on his game. Got the Dolphins this week, right? The Dolphins, we know, are going to be able to score some points and I think put some pressure on that Chiefs defense. They're going to have to keep pace. Maybe this is what they needed. Maybe they needed Mahomes to get you know back. Uh, Back on track here, a little bit of wake-up call till he gets back to some of the basics and, and doesn't miss some of the plays that are there to be had. That's it on the Chiefs game, right? Again, I wish I could tell you it was some brilliant game plan. What it was was just a smart, we don't think they're going to be patient enough, we're not going to let them have the big play, and let's see if the Chiefs can work within that environment. And they showed that they could not exactly do that in this football game. Last game from the notebook here, okay? We got a little bit of the uh, Cowboys over the Rams D. And I think the big thing, and I kind of hit on this Sunday a little bit, there was more of a vertical presence in the Cowboys pass game uh, that I had seen in any other game this year. And I think that's really what I loved about the attack, right? And and, and to me, the, the big thing with them doing that, they're... they're uh, one, feature C.D. Lamb, right? Make the defense have to go, wait, we got to worry about C.D. Lamb wherever he goes. I think that's only going to make things better for Michael Gallup, Ferguson, uh, uh, Brandon Cooks. It's going to, you know, 
uh, of course, make their lives easier and give them an, an avenue to get the ball more if you start to feed CeeDee Lamb. The big thing I loved about the, the vertical passing game, and I saw some examples of this too, where you, you guys have been listening to me. The Cowboys, it's everything. Jam it in there for four and five yards. It's third and four. Let's throw a five-yard route and jam it in there and do all of that. Right? And the one thing I've been trying to preach here on the podcast a little bit, you know, if it's third and four, not everybody has to run a five-yard route. We don't have to do that. You know, what I learned in New England years ago and playing for Josh McDaniels is, hey, you, if we want to throw it short, let's send some people deep. More times than not, people are playing defenses to shop, stop the short pass. So there is some opportunities to get some aggressive plays down the field. And then within that, when you start to show that and do that a little bit, what happens is you get defenses to play back and play off a little bit. You send people deep, and then you got one guy working underneath. And now it's not like, oh, I'm going to jam it in there between seven people. It's like, wait, it's C.D. Lamb underneath against a, a linebacker, or he's one-on-one with somebody covering him, but we've cleared it out with our route concepts with everybody else, and it opens up the field. So that, to me, is the thing that I loved about the game plan for the Cowboys. There was definitely you know, a handful, six or seven more aggressive concepts that I watched throughout the game. Dak played great. Right, And this is where I think them just being a little more aggressive in the pass game is going to help them. One, they have a good screen game. They have a good screen playbook. You want to throw screens to the receivers or Tony Pollard? That's the best way to open that up. With people going downfield, you're worried about that. Oh, boom, there you go, Tony Pollard, big play. Right, That's one thing. It's going to help their run game in Tony Pollard because it's going to get even more two-safety defenses because they're going, damn, Dak and Mike McCarthy are dialing up deeper plays here. And you know these guys, you know, Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Cooks can go. We can't, we can't just play man-to-man bump and run there. So I think all those things are going to help their offense out, and it just makes the field – more wide open. And that was kind of my summation of the game overall. I mean, the Cowboys are unbelievable. They really are. You know, they're extremely talented and they can go on a run almost like we've seen the Chiefs be able to go on a run through their little dynasty here that you've never seen before. I mean, the game was 10 to 3. The Cowboys got a pick 6. It goes 17 to 3. The Rams go 3 and out, 3 and out. The punt gets blocked for a safety. The Rams now have to kick the ball off to the the Cowboys because of the safety. Turbin has a big return all the way down to the 13-yard line. Two plays later, touchdown. So you're going, "Man, this is 10-3 and the Rams look like they're going to hang in there." And all of a sudden it's 2 minutes later of game time and you go, "It's 26 to 3. This game is over." Right, that's how explosive and dangerous the Cowboys they are. But the the basic thesis of what we saw, Dak was great. The offense is more wide open, not like what was like oh wow, but just enough to now it opens up all the other stuff. They don't need to be a vertical and downfield passing team all the time, but when they do, it opens up the offense. Doesn't let a team play downhill all game like the 49ers and Chargers did, where they were always like, hey, it's just going to be right here in front of us. Just get ready to come downhill, you know, break up a pass or hit him as soon as he catches the ball. You know, There's too much talent on this team to throw the ball short all the time. Love how they had some plays of send people deep to throw it short. It's very tough on a defense, I has explained. And here's the other here's the things that it opens up the Dak scramble lanes right Dak had a few scrambles in the game that's going to be a a nice weapon for them when you open up the field the Pollard screen game as I discussed already the run game and all that we be helped by the that will all be helped by the downfield passing game and the Pollard passing game in general is going to have more um 
you know, more validity to it because now oh, everyone's downfield and Pollard can work underneath against a linebacker or safety. All of this will improve. Send these fuckers deep. Let number 20 or number 88 or number three work underneath and it's going to stress defenses out in a big way. So that's inside the notebook by Chris Sims. What the F happened? Treasure Hunters edition right there. I hope everybody enjoyed that. We got one more thing to get to here in honor of my host who's missing. Yeah, Big Butt Awards. Ahmed's Big Butt Awards. Hit that Ooh, intro. It is that time. Big Butts and we cannot lie. The Big Butt of the Week. Oh. Time to give some love to these Ooh, big guys. Some it, touches. It's a couple sacks, forced <laughs> fumble. He's a butting superstar. Give it to him, Ahmed. One butt cheek. And this is why you're the big butt expert of the world right now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if we've ever had a repeat winner, but I think it's worthy. Okay? Yeah, that's right. The first big butt a winner, big butt of the week a winner, the week a winner, is that what I just said? A week a winner is Sexy Dexy, the biggest butts of them all, the biggest butt of them all is Sexy Dexy, Dexter Lawrence. I mean, yeah, second week in a row, but let's just state it how it is. There hasn't been a defensive lineman more dominant than Dexter Lawrence the last two weeks. I mean, you go back and watch that game. You don't have to go back and watch it. If you watch it on Sunday, you realize that Dexter Lawrence was in the face of Zach Wilson all game long. He had 15 pressures, according to PFF. That's tied for the second most in a single game in the PFF era, all right? That's impressive. That really is. He's a one-man wrecking crew, right? He's a staple of that defense. And uh, as we know and what we saw yesterday, I think the Giants are packing it up this year by trading Leonard Williams and throwing in the white towel and going, okay, we're going to start worrying about next year. The next one goes to another pretty obvious one that I think all of you can recognize. If you watch Monday Night Football, Max Crosby. How awesome is Max Crosby, right? I, I just Is he everywhere? You know, he's definitely one of the best defensive ends in football. I think maybe we, get, we overlook him at times, you know, compared to Bosa and T.J. Watt and Micah Parsons and Miles Garrett. And I think we need to be clear that Max Crosby is in the class of those guys. He is. You know, the, he's incredibly explosive. He's great at getting off blocks. Right, He plays 100 miles per hour all game long. This is his first elephant trophy for Crosby. Right, It's long overdue. How dare Ahmed not give him the respect? You know, Maybe Ahmed didn't like his butt. I don't know. Maybe it's not big enough. All right? But either way, the play on the field warrants him winning the Big Butt Award. 86 snaps were 23 more than the next highest edge player. That's insane because when you watch Max Crosby – it's not like he takes plays off and like manages his energy for the game. It's like every play is the last play of the game. So, you know, and then he leads all edge players, and where you saw him the other night was what he could do in the run game. I mean, he's phenomenal in the run game. Eight tackles, a true dominant force, you know, that, of course, gives him no help on defense. It's not like you're worried about blocking anybody else. Um, but that was an unbelievable performance by Dexter Lawrence and Max Crosby, the big butt of the week award winners way to go you know and Ahmed wanted to be stated that is proof that you don't need to win the game to bring home the big butt trophy aka football is a team sport well said by Ahmed and Pete all right 
We got one little breaking news here as we go out. The Falcons will start Taylor Heineke at quarterback over Desmond Ritter. Not shocked by this decision. If you were watching the Tennessee Titan game last week, that was the best the offense looked at the Falcons all year. Desmond Ritter, this doesn't mean it's the end for him. You know, now he can go back, recalibrate a little bit. You know, but I think, again, they've been winning games in spite of Desmond Ritter. The NFC South is there to be had. Taylor Heineke's played a lot of football. You know, he played really good the other day. I think they're going to be a better offense with him at the quarterback position. Desmond Ritter, hey, you're still young. Keep fighting. I hear people go, well, this is going to ruin his confidence. I don't know if he'll be the same. Well, if it ruins his confidence and he won't be the same, then you know he's not your quarterback for the future anyways. right? Obstacles happen. I saw Joe Montana get benched. If Joe Montana can get benched, anybody can get benched. All right? That's all I got to say about that. Desmond Ritter, keep fighting the good fight. I still got faith in you. Uh, this gives him a chance to take a deep breath and kind of reevaluate evaluate himself and how he was playing the position. All right, everybody, tomorrow, got the week nine picks with Florio, PFT, PM, Chris Sims on button collaboration. You know where to find me on social media, at CSimsQB on Twitter, at Sims on button on Instagram, at Sims on button on TikTok. Yeah, I'm young. I'm cool. Deal with it. All right. Peace out, homies. Clap it up. Solo clapper. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.